Spy Cops Info Podcast. A series about the secret undercover political police who infiltrated over a thousand campaign groups in the UK. These spy cops from the Special Demonstration Squad and the National Public Order Intelligence Unit were tasked with targeting anyone considered subversive. They stole the identities of dead children, deceived women into long-term sexual relationships, and in some cases, fathered children. Episode 11, Litigating in Person. Welcome to the Spy Cops Info Podcast. I'm Tom Fowler. I'm joined with... Donald O'Driscoll from the Undercover Research Group. Uh, and today we're going to talk a bit about the inquiry. As you all know, I go to every hearing of the inquiry. I try and follow it as best I can. I get involved in like uh, live tweeting and reporting in the breaks and doing stuff afterwards on this podcast and elsewhere. But like in terms of actually engaging with the inquiry as a core participant, which is what I am, uh, I, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really doing that. It's just not really my style. Donal, however, is litigating in person, and it, whereas I kind of like leave things to my lawyer, Donal is his own lawyer essentially, without being a lawyer. So I thought it'd be really interesting to have a chat with him about like what the inquiry is like for you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like for you? It's insane. <laughs> Made me question choices in my life. <laughs> so how, how did you get to the point where you decided you felt the need to like represent yourself? So I initially, I did have a, a solicitor. Um, I was quite involved in supporting a number of the women who were quite affected. And I I had a solicitor I'd used in a previous civil case who I found really helpful, re- person I could relate quite well to. And I felt got the politics. Um, and I also wanted to support the other people who were with that solicitor. Um, unfortunately, for external other reasons, that that solicitor left that firm, um, and I felt I'd lost a, quite an important relationship there. Uh, and I was quite engaged with the inquiry. You know, a large chunk of my own personal activism has been in the courts, which is quite bizarre as an anarchist uh, to find myself doing that. But I, you know, in the past, I've done quite a lot of civil cases where I've self-represented. So I'm not a stranger to the law. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I nearly became a lawyer until I realised how much nonsense it was, um, and how much it wasn't actually about the law, but you know the mood of the judge on the day. Like oh, I can't do that nonsense. Um, but I've always had that sort of interest, and I've always been you know on around those scenes doing legal stuff. So when the inquiry came along. It was just a natural extension of my interest in law. So I was. You know, this is the Inquiries Act, this is the process that sets it out, this is a Rule 10 question, this is a Rule 9 question, blah, blah, all the technical stuff. I was quite following it. And I naturally started reading the emails that the lawyer sent out, which I know the majority of people don't do because they're like, <laughs> how does this relate to my life and do I have got four or five hours to understand it in a day? Shout out to all the core participants <clears throat> who don't read their emails. But I, I was reading the emails and I was engaging um, and I was saying, well, actually, we need to address these points. So... The other the parallel part of this is, as someone involved in the Undercover Research Group, of reaching out to people, supporting people, encouraging them to come forward and be core participants. You know, I did feel I had that responsibility, but I was also very aware that there's a lot of people out there who are not core participants, but were quite heavily affected by the inquiry and don't have a voice. Now, we keep using this word core participant, so I should explain mm-hmm. what that is before we get into the rest of it. Core participant is defined within the Inquiries Act. It's a specific category of person who is considered to have a particular interest in the outcome of the inquiry. Mm. Uh, quite often, it's somebody who is a direct victim or affected in some way or is liable, likely to be criticised by the inquiry. 
So this is why you'll have the police as core participants or say in Grenfell, you've got all the iconic and all the firms that provided the cladding as core participants because they're all likely to be criticised mm. or potentially criticised. And um, being a core participant gives you slightly more say in the shaping of the inquiry or at least the ability to sub- put submissions in. We want we would prefer this system, not that system. We want to challenge you on this this aspect of one of your protocols. It's a lot of quite dull technical stuff. For those of us who are engaged, you know, this is important stuff, but recognizing that a lot of people who are not engaged, not interested, you know, for whom it's not what this is about. And there's a lot of people who are not core participants at all, don't get any say. And in the back of my mind, you know, I need to bear in mind their needs. I speak to a lot of them through my work in the undercover research group uh, and be feeding those sentiments in so they're not forgotten about. So this is this is all in the back of my mind. So when my my solicitor left uh, the firm and was taken over by position was taken over by somebody else who I didn't feel got me in the same way, and I was finding myself spending a lot more arguing points. You know, I'd be on the phone with an hour going, "You can't say this. You you these these words are wrong. They don't represent everybody, or they're coming from a." You know, I can see why as lawyers you're saying them, but as core participants, this is not right. We mm-hmm. can't accept this amount of, you know, layering of, or, you know, this sort of like good protester, bad protester, all that sort of stuff. I, I quite like my lawyer, Jules Carey, my lawyer, he's a rock star man, like, but it took him a while to kind of get where we were coming from politically. Yeah. And I have to say, most of the lawyers are great. Yeah. Most of them, you know, have had enough experience representing political political people of all, you know, all left wing stripes. Mm. Um, you know, they instinctively get that. I'm just using that as as yeah. an example that most people get. Although a lot of stuff we were talking was a bit more technical. Yeah, and I was just well, why why am I spending all my time talking to a lawyer who's then going to bring that to a meeting when I should be just talking to the meeting itself? Right. Um, and having spent ten years in the high courts in the shack injunctions, well. Started, <laughs> so I, I I told my lawyer that I would be representing myself. Um, Helen Steele was already representing herself, yeah. so I was able to go to the inquiry and say, "Look, I want to do this." Yeah. Um, and they, to my surprise, almost they accepted it. I mean, did they have any choice really? Though it's a bit weird. They they could they could potentially have refused it, right? Or they could have you know they could potentially have just said, "Well, you can't be a core participant then." We want this to, you know, not saying they would have, but it was it was on certain territory. Not many people have really done this. So we it's certainly not in inquiries. So it's like we're still finding our feet. They were finding their feet. We I didn't quite know the outcome, but to me it was worth the risk. Myself and Helen Steele are the two individuals who are totally representing um, self-litigants in person. I believe Dave Morris also has some sort of statue as litigant in person but both Dave and Helen are also part of London Greenpeace so I've got representation that way whereas I'm I have no legal representation whatsoever you don't just follow the inquiry as a litigant in person either you like you're following it as an activist you're following it as part of the comms group you're, you're writing up those reports for campaign opposing police surveillance they reports each day it's an incredibly large amount of work you've taken on by the way you, in which you're engaging with the inquiry what does that actually look like in terms of the the litigating part of it like because it's i mean i, I know how you behave when the inquiry's on and you're doing so many different things like where does the litigating part come into it 
So a large chunk of the work's not actually at the inquiry itself. There is something called the Rule 10 questions, which probably come on to a, mm. a separate point. Um, but it's reading the emails, being part of the discussion. So I'm part of the, there's a legal email list for mm. all the lawyers involved where a lot of the stuff gets discussed out. The issues get the and the documents that you know go in on behalf of all the non-stakeholder participants are created. So I I have a voice there. Um, <clears throat> I can feed in directly on points or say if I disagree, or if I think something needs checking. With that, I was saying earlier the hat in mind of there's all these people who don't have lawyers because mm. the lawyers are great, and they fight quite fiercely for the clients, but their focus is for the most part on the needs of their clients and that's important huh? that, that should the way it is yeah. but that doesn't mean the v- voices of all those who don't have lawyers because the inquiries funding won't cover them or you know not interested in them shouldn't be heard so i see my role is to think on behalf of them okay and and just say well i speak to the wider group i can't represent them all perfectly but i've got a good idea what what they what direction they would want things to see see things going in or where I know there would be a clear division so it's it's about feeding in and understanding but also understanding the underlying technical reasons for the argument so you will see documents we'll see questions and people go why is that in there and I'll go actually there's a real tactical reason for that there's a purpose for that you know I can be another voice explaining that and people will understand, know that I'm coming from an activist thing. I'm just, just I'm not just going along with the lawyers. It's because there's a reason mm. for that. So to be that sort of second trusted voice to, to explain or to, to, you know, if necessarily give an answer as to why we're going down a particular route. It, it's a really key point, isn't it? Because like, though there's, you know, however many I can remember, the numbers of core participants or non-state, non-police core participants. I really hate that phrase because it's like only the state could come up with phrases like that. Non-state, non-police to ext- the public. Mem- cor- <laughs> members of the public are core participants, right? Public core participants. Civilian, as you Yeah, quite, quite so, <laughs> civilian, which I, I don't like because I consider myself a combatant in this <laughs> fucking game. But anyway, um, the, 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 there's this, uh, the, the, there is this much, much wider group of, you know, people that we know, people um, like, um, like, for me, like uh, South Wales Anarchists and Califf Anarchist Network are co-participants. So there's a wider group who are part of those who are feeding the inquiry that way. It's like a bit removed. You know, we have one, one person, one representative actually deals with the lawyers. Um, but for the most part, there's a huge, there's this huge reservoir of people who were involved in activism at times when there was, uh, you know, there was uh, undercover deployments who were affected by it, who have no, no, no direct input to the inquiry at all. And if it wasn't for people like yourself uh, and like all the other various campaign groups that like bring people together, um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have any mechanism for like kind of hearing their concerns in any like kind of official way, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, there's a vast amount of paperwork that comes out as a you know it's like keeping people informed you know a lot of people say it's just too much it's yeah. like they've got their daily lives going it's also been traumatic for a lot of people yeah. so they don't want to have that engaged daily based gauges some people do yeah a lot of people don't but every now and again just having somebody going wait a second this is an issue that we need a collective voice in mm. or this is an issue where we need to do a more public statement mm. um or Oh, buried in this stock, this protocol is something like say on photographs, yeah, which I know is a particular issue for a lot of people. But it's like 
that's the key focus for me. So pulling that stuff out and then going to to the wider core participants, I want to flag. I need, think this needs to be flagged up. We may need to be more proactive, or we may need to think strategically around this issue, um, so that we're moving past just the the sheer anger and the overwhelmingness of it to actually these this is places where we can affect and there's a purpose to actually engaging at this point it, should people get in contact with you in that way do you, do you want to hear from people about these things who are not co-participants is that something you actually actively want to do yeah yeah no it's there's always a weird balance because i you know i spend a lot of time doing the legal stuff yeah. and even like you know i'm writing and stuff and, you know if you spend any time in one world, it seeps into your life. Yeah. It, there's no way around it. And I will find myself, you know, starting typing up and writing letters in a very legal way and having to check myself. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, you're not a lawyer today. Yeah. You're not doing this in a legal capacity. You're doing this as a human. Mm. Um, not that lo- our lawyers aren't human, but you know, sometimes <laughs> you have to... <laughs> no offence to any of the lawyers who may be listening. But sometimes you have to, you have to straddle several worlds and actually be pulled back... At, out of that world because right. what makes good communication is keeping mm. a foot properly in both camps so i do like hearing from people because it helps me keep that balance mm. um it helps me understand where people are at and also you know if there's because there's so many topics and issues mm. that you know people's individual points can get get lost in tr- trying to address them that is mm. The more people who are aware of the small points, go, actually, now is the point we need to be addressing this, or if we don't address it now, we'll lose it. I'm, all, I'm, I'm very aware that the inquiry is an opportunity for the state to learn lessons. That's what it's actually for, right? That's the, the point of an inquiry. And like us as activists are coming in with a very different set of priorities. You know, I've said already that I, I'm not personally, not particularly interested in the outcomes. It's the disclosure, it's the, it's the process of the inquiry, rather than the report at the end. Well, it might as well have already been written for you know the way in which these things behave. So, though I think we you know we're we're, we're um, as non-state non-police core participants, we're engaging honestly and and and, and fair-mindedly with the the inquiry process. Our, our aims are not what the inquiry's aims are, right? And like kind of keeping sight of that is quite a difficult process because it's like. The inquiry is doing this one thing. We, you know, we use it as an opportunity to find out other things, and that's sometimes in conflict, right? Yeah, I think it's quite often in conflict. Yeah, and, you know, and it's very easy to misunderstand the nature of the word of the phrase "public inquiry," and I, this this throws up a lot of confusion. Mm. You know, there's not necessarily public about public inquiry. The public in public inquiry is the state. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. you know it's, it's getting your head out of that mindset and you know, you know these are all legal this is working in a legal world mm. that's not our world and it's trying you know you have to be able to put yourself into that space to truly understand it as well we engage with the inquiry for very different reasons um while rather than the, the reasons which are like the official kind of uh the stated aims you know the like uh, the terms of reference to the inquiry are incredibly narrow, and uh, like you know, the thing we always want to do—I mean, person I say we—I the thing I always think is is like breaking out of those terms of reference is like where the interesting stuff starts. You know, we we've already seen with like the the role of like of the uh, security services is much bigger than we ever thought it was going to be, yeah. and that these these things that are outside the remit that like there's these glimpses there which like we want to find out more about and we want to expose more of, but the inquiry is like doing the opposite of that, right? 
the inquiry is ruled by its own internal logic mm. and we're we're constantly in conflict with that logic because it's not our logic and it's it has very different aims and objectives mm. and we we can't avoid that and so we're you know we're constantly chipping away at at that and, you know we yes we did call for public inquiry but we didn't get consulted on setting the terms of reference i remember the time when we were campaigning for a public inquiry that was partially because it was like well what else do we do <laughs> you know i guess the way i approach the public inquiry isn't so much in terms of the public inquiry itself it's in terms of the resistance we're getting right it's clearly this is distressing for the state isn't it marvelous that it is yes it's a unique opportunity it's not the opportunity we would have in the perfect world oh god no but there is not going to be anything like this in our lifetimes or probably several lifetimes afterwards where the state will allow this much of a spotlight into one of the darkest shadows um of the, of you know yes it's the secret state yeah you know it's quite literally these are the secret service um it's all about secrecy and for once they're showing a spotlight on it for once there's going to be moral judgment coming out of it for you once we're going to be able to actually see what was paranoia and what wasn't paranoia mm. you know the vast majority of people I engage with on this, it's about getting answers. What the inquiry concludes is less important than the fact that they get answers, they understand it, because that helps them with the trauma. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm involved in the inquiry, first and foremost, to support the people who've been traumatized. And I want to do that. But at the same time, there's the wider attack on democracy and the right to protest. And this... Because it's not just about the spy cops. It's about the attitudes that motivated the spy cops and their bosses against the entirety of the left wing and understanding how, where and what they moved, what sort of milieu they moved in, what sort of ideology was influencing them so that we could understand better, so we could build up a better picture of how they operated. And, you know, so there's some various conspiracy theories we can just go out the window that was all just yeah. baloney but other ones were going actually that's probably a bit closer to the truth than we ever realised and with understanding I hope comes empowerment and for me ultimately what I would like to see coming out of this is people empowered to be able to look at the state objectively and go this is what we're likely to face yeah and this is how and this is how we come together because like with my you know Many victories in the past have always been preceded by losses. And the losses have taught us how how to achieve victory and what we need to do. Um, and I see, so we, we're not going to win the inquiry, I say win in inverted commas, in any meaningful sense, but it will teach us a set of really important lessons. And we need to be in place to learn those lessons. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of people are um, don't really realise what an aberration this kind of public inquiry on this kind of topic is. And as you say, it's a unique moment, really, of like us being able to look at this entire topic. And it is, it is about the the, the wider sort. It's a glimpse into the minds of of the of the repression of protest, the repression of of of, of activism, the repression of you know political expression from the grassroots, from below. Uh, and like what we're getting a picture of from following the inquiry is essentially the police being at war with social progress 
right? They're not just infiltrating groups. They're not just infiltr like kind of infiltrating the lives of individuals, but they are attempting to uh, to stifle uh, a changes in in pu public opinion. And that that literally, it's 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 about the ideas. It's about you know the changes to everyday life. You know the way in which they targeted the women's liberation movement, the way they they targeted the anti-apartheid movement. You can see it like almost like with Vietnam, where it's like it's a, you know it's you know a very direct thing about like oh this this protest movement this got out of control. There's a huge element there of like kind of fighting the social progress that's like within that movement. That like all these like kind of ideas that are coming up that they they just want to stifle all. Though you know, like you say, it's this isn't just about the about the undercover police. This is a wider thing. But it, you, we're getting glimpses of what the the mindset was um, of those senior police who who were, who were engineering this. Yeah, I, I think where you see this particularly in the documents is the stuff around the meetings of the Socialist Workers Party and WRP and loads of all those other groups. You know, one document I was reading uh, two nights ago was the, the babysitting rota for Tottenham IS. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, was a, it was a list of names and addresses. It's the, and this was all being gathered on in terms of counter subversion. Mm. You know, and it's like, what, and the inquiry has been asking quite a bit of questions about this. And you can see that they're also going, what was the justification of this? Well, the justification is subversion. Okay, well, let's unpick what subversion is. Mm. And they're not able to. Mm. Even the inquiry is going, it's like, this is a bit weird. And so you've got the statement from MI5 saying it's like this sort of amorphous threat to the state. And you're realizing that it's a threat to ideology. It's a threat to everything. It's anything that kind of outstays and an intelligence operation that becomes a thing in itself. Mm. The, you know, these labels of, you know, counter version morph morph and adjust over time mm. simply to justify the ongoing things like mm. they saw the entirety of the left as a threat there's a, a quote not in the inquiry but somewhere else you know where they spoke of i think it was the head of mi5 being so paranoid that if he saw somebody reading the daily mirror he would ask for them to be investigated to find out where they lived simply for reading the daily mirror you know they had that sort of uh you know anything that is not on the right wing the, the rich are getting away with it so much the british establishment is getting away with it so much no wonder they're so terrified because like actually if people start like kind of getting involved in in politics uh, and start putting like you know working class people first in in, in any of these issues or, or any of the other you know kind of marginalized groups in society we've got such a moral kind of right on our side that like of course they're scared of course like shit at any moment you know i mean there's the, there's that slogan you know the rich only sleep at night because we let them yeah and it's like the, literally like they're, they're they're worried that one day we're going to realize what an absolute scam they've got going on and they're going to fucking upset the scapple cart so no wonder they're like terrified of somebody reading the daily mail even the daily mirror even it's like oh god you know shit they're gonna they're gonna rumble us any minute yeah and there is this you know we you We've talked about paranoia before mm. and stuff, but you know, if you want to talk about real paranoia, mm. the state is possibly mm. the most paranoid and over the most flimsiest and trivial of things, you know, and and you know, they will dress up and you'll go, oh yeah, but you know, we weren't spying on MPs or you know, we weren't interested in uh, parliamentary things. It's like, so why are you spying on groups that are directly standing for election? Mm. You know, that you know, every t every argument that they've put out over the years, we're seeing direct evidence. Is nonsense. Yeah, you know, there's this great thing of the Wilson Doctrine about not spying on MPs. 
This inquiry has totally discredited that the Wilson Doctrine was anything other than a a sop to tell Parliament or a Prime Minister that everything was okay. It never... The reality is it didn't exist. No, not at all. Not at all. And it's... So things like that coming out of the inquiry Mm. make it worth doing. You know, we we get revelations come out and you sometimes get this attitude from people of like, oh, well, we, we knew that was happening. It's like, no, we didn't know. We thought we did, but now th- this process is giving us dates and black and white. Can, yeah, the, the, you know, yeah, lots of us thought that the Wilson Doctrine was unlikely to, to be like actually, but now we know for a fact it wasn't because they were spying on MPs plenty, and we've got the, the receipts. It's why the police love um, neither confirm nor deny because it allows for credible doubt to be introduced. Mm. So, well, you're saying this, but where's your evidence? Yeah. Uh, well, I can only suspect that now we're going well, actually. We're not just suspecting. We're able to, as you say, give those those facts, mm. and and that's where we step beyond paranoia, and that's mm. where and we we actually end up with you know proper risk analysis, proper critique, mm. because we've got something. Called, actually, this is the case. So, in in terms of like going back to actually the the, the nuts and bolts of the inquiry, in terms of those questions, because like uh, for people who are following the inquiry, we know that there's like there's a load of the interviews of former undercover officers done by the council of the inquiry. We, none of our lawyers get the opportunity to put any of those questions, but we do get the opportunity to feed in to what the questions are going to be. Given that you've been part of those conversations of like kind of feeding in uh, from a, from the lawyers group perspective, and then actually witnessing what it's actually like. How much of an impact are the kind of questions that you and the lawyers are putting forward actually ending up as part of the interviews? So this is the Rule 10 process. Yeah. Um, and it's possibly the area where I've been most active right. recently on the legal front. And when I'm at the inquiry, that's generally where I'm most engaged. So a few, a few years ago in, in this long saga, <laughs> uh, we created what was the ge- generic list. So a set of 119 questions that we wanted to put to every officer covering the vast majority of what the issues, but in terms of the terms of reference, but also wider issues. For example, uh, you know, where these undercovers involved in babysitting. You know, it's not on the terms of reference, yeah. but you can imagine it's quite a big issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and we were the ones flagging up, you know, the issue of reporting on children, mm. um, stuff. So it was an agreed. Well, we made submissions. The police made submissions, and the inquiry made a fake complete. Mm. This is what the generic questions are. So these, that's the general background material that feeds in. There's, the rule ten process is the ability to put questions to the inquiry to ask the officers. Because it's a public inquiry, the theory, and this is very theoretical, is it's inquisitorial rather than adversarial. Um, Adversarial is what we normally expect of courts. It's prosecutors saying, you're guilty scum, our defence lawyer going, no, sweet angel, you've got no evidence, and then you you have a long, long discussion about who's right and who's wrong. So it's it's very about conflict and challenging each other. In inquisitorial, you're supposed to get rid of all of that, except nobody's told the police this, <laughs> <laughs> and they 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 continue to approach this in a very aggressive way, a very obstructive way. Um, but in terms of the actual process, the the law around this, it means that everything gets challenged through what's called the counsel to the inquiry. It's mm. a barrister, usually in this case David Barr. And it's they who put the questions to each of the witnesses on behalf of both the inquiry, but all the other core participants. Primarily, they work on behalf of the inquiry, but you know we get the feed in. So 
we submit what's called the Rule 10 questions to the council. And they go through them and say, yeah, we'll ask that one. We're, we're going to ask that one anyway. Oh, that's a good question. We'll ask that. No, we're not going to touch this. We intend to ask another witness of this. Or why is this relevant? Go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been a mixed bag. Okay. Uh, but, I've, you know, it's we definitely have had our questions asked. Um I know there's definitely points sitting during the hearings and going, oh, that's our question. <laughs> <laughs> and people are going, why is that relevant? And I say, oh, that's really relevant because we've, because what we don't get is just, uh, is just free access to them. We, we're not allowed to go through a normal process of write name, address, and then work down to the points we want to get to and build up the picture. We've sit down, read through all the documents, read through their written, written statements and say, well, we almost got the understanding, but if we know about that one little point, it'll increase our understanding. So we ask that narrow point because we can fit it into the jigsaw properly. And the police are doing this and the councillor, the inquiry are doing this. So what you'll get in the process is a narrative built up by the inquiry, the council inquiry, to deal with their stuff. And then you'll get a whole system, set of randomish questions. You're going, why are they asking that? And it's usually because they've picked up on points that we wanted to know and, you know, fed in points. So you won't see the immediate benefit, mm. but later on when we come to address the wider issues, we say, well, that on the cover said at that point, this thing that we know is of this relevance. So it's it's not a very transparent process, um, but that's that's generally how it works. To say it's not a very transparent process is a bit of an understatement. It is like entirely like confusing as as someone who's like you know following it as best as I can without really getting involved in the nitty gritty of, of putting things together. It, it was not at all clear to me that there was anything that the the feeding in was actually taking place. It didn't feel like it was because of the way that it's presented, the process of it just makes it really really alienating. And this is my advantage of being a litigant in person mm. is that I get that I'm that one step closer that most people aren't. Mm. So I've had more more engagement with 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 that process. Um and I'm also recon- recognizing things when they are coming up because of it. Because most of this is done through the lawyers. Most of it, you know, they they listen to their clients and then they do it. And most you know most corporate participants you know, aren't going to be interested in all the nitty gritty. A few people with very specific issues will always watch out and go, like, you know, a number of women are very, very good at saying we are going to make sure that we always submit in on a particular set of issues of very vital importance to them. Mm. But going back to what I was saying earlier about bearing in mind that there's a wider constituents out there that are not represented, this is one of the key points where I think I've got, I'm keeping an eye out on behalf of everybody else. Mm. Now, I'm not saying I'm you know, putting myself on the pencil. I'm the only person <laughs> who could do this. I would love to be other against the person also doing this, but as in a u- relatively unique position, it's something I feel I can contribute towards mm. and engage. So at the inquiry, I will quite often be with the lawyers, you know, watch on the watch out for that, feeding back, thinking mm. about where this fits, or also going, actually, wait a second, this this ties into a little bunch of issues. We might need to go and speak to other people mm. in order to get an understanding there. The other reason it's not a transparent process is not many people actually get to see the material in advance. Mm. And the inquiries deliberately set it up so that you know everything is restricted. It publishes everything on the day, but that's kind of too late to put questions in. Yeah, uh, I have managed to, as a litigant person, get a sight of the bundle in advance. 
so I'm able to see stuff. And what I have done um, is when I've gone through the material, I've recognized things and going, actually, this is really important. I need to mention this to this this solicitor because they might not recognize the importance of this. Mm. Or, for example, when it came out that one of the senior cops had gone on to the Economic League. Mm. You know, so I saw the name, saw that, right, so right. I need to make sure that the Blacklist group are aware of this. Yeah. Yo. So, and then it went through the process of formally asking the inquiry, can the Blacklist lawyers be seen, be showing this because this may be irrelevant. Um, and because there's so few eyeballs on the documents, it means the lawyers, you know, just can't get to the amount of material. Yeah. We've got a barrister and a lawyer who sort of represents the generic interest, but it's just a phenomenal amount of material. And they're approaching it for the legal things. And I say, well, I don't need to do it necessarily from the legal point of view. I need to be thinking of what's relevant for the mm. core participants as a wider group, what's relevant to the protest movement as a wider group. Yeah. What were you saying about the eyeballs thing? One of the things that really like um, irritates me is that there's six uh, layers of checking by the police, by the inquiry, of disclosure. That things are redacted and checked and double-checked. I think it might even be eight. It might be eight. <laughs> eight. eight. <laughs> that, that was the streamlined version. And then it gets to... Yeah, it's, it's then disclosed to core participants uh, at the inquiry. We, there's, we, there's such a maelstrom of information that comes flying at you during when the inquiry is on with live uh, questions, you know, the live evidence, the written evidence is being published at the same time. That you know, it, it takes so long to to get it pro- everything properly looked at and put into context. It, 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 it's such a huge task that, and I mean, like doing it by yourself, that is incredible. <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> large amount of work, dude. Yeah, before unfortunately, you know. We we are getting true to the inquiry that you know mm. the circle needs to be widened. I think first time round it was very narrow. It this time, second time round it was widened mm. a bit, and that definitely helped. You know more eyeballs, and the more people come on, the more the more that will think. But it was definitely a strain because you're having to write questions, mm. read everything, and do it within less than six weeks. Yeah, and this is thousands of pages of documents, mm. mostly badly photocopied. Oh, they're horrendous. I mean, the, I got early disclosure this time, the second time round. It is not a user-friendly experience on any stretch. Either the the, the system that the, the the documents are on, the quality, like you say, the quality of the documents themselves. Hopefully, this will improve as we go further forward. That they're not using four-part NCR sets with, you know, the carbon papers just, like, dying before it's poorly photocopied. And they just don't give, you know, they have finally agreed Mm. that they're going to start drip-feeding us documents, which is something we've been asking in advance. We Mm. said you cannot give everything last minute because Mm. we just don't have the capacity and you're restricting all the lawyers' funding Mm. and stuff, so there's big big arguments over how many hours the lawyers actually get to look at all of this. Um. But you know, so it's like the more time we have to process, and the more effective we can be, and we can actually save you loads of time. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the points of arguing with the inquiry is that there are we as core participants are a huge resource. Yeah. That you are just not valuing. You are more concerned about police redactions and having to go through this eight stage process before we even get to say whether something mm. is 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 missing mm. is missing the value that we could actually bring to the inquiry because. Yes, you got all these documents, but you don't understand them. Mm. You haven't read them. And this is in the he- last uh, hearings, Diane Langford, mm. I thought was particularly pertinent to this. And she reinterpreted a lot of the documents because she mm. was there at the meeting. She said, actually, 
what you're seeing here is purely a on the cover copper's perspective mm. and it's totally mischaracterizing what's going on now if that's all you see you will not own this so she was able to point out a load of in, in racism and sexism that just a naive reading of the documents mm. uh wouldn't give you at all it's mm. like that's why you need us because we can point to documents of relevance yeah and interpret them and they're like we've all been there we've been all at these meetings right <laughs> we know you know what's bullshit and what is yeah what was actually likely to have rung true um and also when you're just like when the on the covers themselves have you know tainted the picture you know it's like the one who's clearly uh selling organizing swp paper sales you know and was clearly the one that was barracking other people to do paper sales yeah. but had just twisted the wording so it didn't sound like him yeah but you know so yeah, yeah. as 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 people who said well, we know exactly what was going on there <laughs> you're the organizer you're the one who had been doing that yeah but if you've never signed that meeting you're not going to get that <laughs> this is something which is coming up again and again with the inquiry is that they're, they're relying on the evidence of professional liars and this the whole thing about you know something that's going through yet again is restriction orders made on the basis of mental health grounds Right. When we know they were specifically tasked and trained to fake mental health issues, yeah. you know, you just, and, you know, well, we'll go to, you know, they all quote this, this one set of doctors from a private clinic that deals with all cops, you know, when any of them get into trouble and they need uh, mental health care out. It's always this, this one, one firm they go to that seems sign that's like, oh, come on. <laughs> The, the inquiry it, it buys this bullshit whether it's buying it because it believes it or it's buying it because it's easier to buy it than not I, I think part of it is it's tied into the system so mm. it's it's you know it, it's why the state can never investigate itself because it has to trust that the system won't lie to itself mm. in order to get an answer but if the system is actively lying to itself then it's always going to be working with one hand tied behind its back and I, I I do get suspicion that you know those parts of the inquiry are really frustrated with the police, but they they're not powerful enough to actually address it. At the end of the day, the inquiry is a fairly small, you know, it's incredibly small actually institution that's dealing with an enormous machine. We we know that the police have, have brought I think it's two judicial reviews so far. That obviously anybody who's bringing a judicial review against you, they're being a problem to you. Yeah, and this this is one of the things where it's quite clear that they, you know, for all the, or we will cooperate fully that they have no interest, or, you know, about being obstructive. And the ironic thing about those judicial reviews is that we don't actually know what they're about. No, we're not allowed to know what they're about, yeah. and they've got the resources. There's loads of things that we would like to bring judicial reviews on, but we simply don't have the resources because we would have to ask the inquiry to fund us to bring a judicial, whereas the police. Have unlimited thing. If really, if they really wanted to to level the playing field and give an honest public inquiry, an honest table, or just everybody come to it equally, is to address the funding issues. Is to you know either the state gets totally you know you are not allowed to keep throwing money at this, and you know or there's some parity. But at the moment, it's with all the funding controlled by the inquiry for non-state corporate participants. We're, we we are going to be constantly be struggling, yeah. um, and it will never be a fair. And the new the police know this, and the police are prepared to play those games. And they're really good at it. They're really experienced at it. <laughs> and this is why I, I, the Daniel Morgan report, uh, which came out recently, I was really important. And I was just like, it was it wasn't just the, the finding of institutional corruption, which was you know significant in itself. It's also they name-checked the police as being deliberately obstructive mm. 
Mm. Not not the police in the past. The police now, the Metropolitan Police now. Mm. And it was like, well, it's like you and us, mate. <laughs> you, yeah. What you're, you're experiencing, we're experiencing. You read the stuff going on in Grenfell. And the other part is like, these battles are not, you know, fought. And that's why I hate the whole liberal perspective on this. They're not fought on any on any level playing field mm. at all. And it's the same pig. We're still dealing with the same fucking pig each time. Like you know, all those ones you just listed. The police are working from the same rule book, you know, the same playbook. They're obstructing as much as possible. They're putting themselves above criticism as much as they can. They will drag their heels and wait for people to die, move abroad, retire, whatever, so that they're no longer on the chopping block. It's because. The outcome otherwise is quite, you know, mm. shows them up. And I think that is one of the reasons for doing the fight is, you know, because society has this myth of the police and the Dixon and Doc Green thing, mm. although it's slowly being eroded, it's still there mm. for a large number of people. Mm. And the more people see the reality, the more people will actually stand up and go, wait a second, no. I think this is also an important role of what we're doing in inquiry it's it's showing up the reality it's moving past the daily mail uh aren't our boys in blue wonderful mm. to aren't our boys in blue is just a state rape gang and that understanding of where britain is right now in, in its history political history is due in no small part to the role the police have played over the last 50 years. What we're seeing from the inquiry is, and what we get the opportunity to like to show to people, the role of the police has been incredibly negative <laughs> for all our lives, right? On a on an individual level, because of how they've acted, but also on the wider things that have been, have been stopped, or the wider things that have, have taken longer to come to their natural fruition, you know? Yeah, and but also presenting this, you know, community policing by consent, mm. which is a myth. Complete uh, myth. But actually being able to challenge that and finding routes in to go, you we have got to address this head on the reality because a lot of people are holding back, oh actually well they'll change the law for the better or you know, they'll reform themselves. You know, the whole point of the inquiry is so the government can reform learn from its mistakes. Saying that at the same time is putting through a bill that will you know, legalise any abuse. A part of this inquiry being an aberration means that the the information that comes out of it will be treated like an aberration. It's it's so unusual for something like this to be happening, that the things, the recommendations that come out from it, much like with the Daniel Morgan, like it was amazing how quickly those criticisms of the current police were deflected in the media. You know, immediately, you know, Preeti Patel and Sadiq Khan both came out saying they had complete faith in the police, that the police now were not the police in, as, as they were 34 years ago, that the Met was not institutionally... They're worse. They're worse. Yeah, they're fucking worse. The political cover that the cops get from all sides of the political establishment is sickening in an extreme, you know, it really is. So, and that motivates my part of my involvement. It's that ability to stand up and say, right, it's not a perfect battleground. It's not a battleground I've naturally chosen. It's the one I've been thrown into. Mm. But it's important we fight it. It's important we don't let them off. To, you know, the police are going to be the police. They're always going to be scum. Yeah. But if you don't stand up and shout the scum, then more and more people are going to continue on bl blind to the abuses that are going around them. Yeah. Is that thing we were talking about earlier about you know, speaking truth to power? But no, what we're doing, we're not speaking truth to power. Power already knows. We're speaking truth in the teeth of power to the public. <laughs> All right. That's the kind of that's the role. Yeah. You can't always you. You can't always choose your battlegrounds, mm. but you can always choose to fight or not. Um, and you can always choose to fight tactically and strategically, mm. you know, 
it's been a fascinating experience. Mm. It's been exhausting. I don't think any of us anticipated how it was going to turn out. Mm. You know, it was two, July 2014. It was first announced. We are now seven years on. You know, somebody from Northern Ireland, you know, in my head, there was a Savile inquiry and that was the, the outlier. 100 million, almost 20 years, whatever, investigating Bloody Sunday. And I'm thinking I'm now in the process where we're likely to surpass even the Savile Inquiry. Um, but also, the police are fighting us so hard for a reason. And mm. that's something that I I keep with me. It's just like, if they're fighting us, it's because we we, we are a challenge. Right, we, we, you know, And I might not know exactly how I'm challenging in every particular way, but the fact that they feel challenged is important. Like if they don't like it, keep doing it. <laughs> If you want to know more about this topic, check out spycops.info. Follow our social media links you'll find on there. Please like and share this series.